That's right, that's Kenny Wayne Shepherd right there warming up for you. He's plugging in today on episode 121 of No Guitar Is Safe, the guitar show where guitar heroes plug in. Today's show is brought to you by Blue Microphones. Head to bluemic.com. They've got the perfect mic waiting for you. Thank you, Blue. One, two, three, four. I am waiting on Kenny Wayne Shepherd. I am waiting on Kenny Wayne Shepherd. Okay, I know I'm not the only one who does that. I know a lot of y'all do that too. You're waiting to go out the door or something. A guitar finds its way in your hand and then you start writing a little song about whatever's going on. But you should do that because you might have the next scrambled eggs. You remember scrambled eggs. Scrambled eggs. That became a pretty good song for Mr. Paul McCartney. I should say Sir Paul McCartney once he changed the words a little bit. So you never know what you might got. I know that we got Kenny Wayne Shepherd on the show today plugging in a very cool new Kenny Wayne Shepherd signature Stratocaster just announced. And today's show is brought to you by Blue Microphones who have been just spectacular. They brought you last week with Brent Mason. That was a thrill. Nashville legend, you can't miss that. I know one or two people wrote in and they were like, man, I hadn't heard of Brent Mason, but that was amazing. And yes, you must listen to these cats even if you haven't heard them because wow, he's played on a thousand records and he's such a killer guitar player. Blue Microphones also brought you Paul Reed Smith and Michelangelo Badio. All these different sorts of hangs and they really are a fantastic company. You know, they've been making mics for 25 years and they are the mic choice for millions of musicians, podcasters, music creators, and producers, including myself. Their mics like the Yeti and the Bluebird are all over the place. You find them everywhere. Top studios to, you know, YouTube creators, videos, because people choose Blue to elevate their productions. And they will elevate your production whether you're just starting out or are looking for a new color to add to your mix or are an established music creator or producer. Visit bluemic.com, click the Get Started link, and find the perfect mic for you. Yeah, so Kenny Wayne Shepherd, rock star by the time he was 18. His song Blue on Black was a chart topper and holds up to this day as a really great rock slash blues song crossover tune in the canon of strat rock history and it still sounds amazing to this day we'll get into that we'll get into some demos of his new stratocaster and hear what it was like growing up famous opening for huge bands really interesting stuff with him such as playing the most famous stratocaster on earth probably on Jimmy Fallon. What was that all about? So yeah, we're gonna talk to him today in his bat cave, so to speak. Super badass car right behind him as he's talking to us. There's a little bit of echo in there, but hey, I'm putting you in the room with Kenny Wayne Shepherd, and he's plugging in his new guitar into a super cool Alexander Dumble modded Fender Champ, I think it was. The bigger dumbbells are in the room too, I think, but they're not on. But just nice having that vibe in there, just knowing they're there with him. 
Thanks again to Blue Microphones at bluemic.com. And thank you so much for listening to No Guitar Is Safe. If you want to help out the show, tell your friends about it and also write a review in the iTunes store or wherever else you listen. We do appreciate it. We're going to rev up the copter and head over to, you know what? I don't know where we're headed today. I'm just going to type in some mystery coordinates and see where we land. Maybe Kenny will tell us where we are. Keep it alive to you, 95, yo. See, make sure I'm not too loud here with this. Never too loud. Well, maybe like disproportionate to my voice though. Oh. All right, cool. So, man, you've got a cool new quarantine buddy there you're hanging out with. Tell us about that. Yeah, this is my new uh, Fender Signature Stratocaster. I'm very excited about this one. This is uh, the second uh, Kenny Wayne Shepherd Signature Stratocaster. Uh, we released the first one back in uh, 2008, I believe. And, um, you know, this is actually, instead of this being an, ev- like, this is kind of like an evolution, but I wanted this guitar to have its own complete identity separate from the last one. So there's really not a whole lot that's been carried over from the last guitar. You know, the last one was made in Mexico. This one is made in USA. Uh, but every aspect of this guitar has been touched in some shape or form and, and slightly tweaked from the last guitar. So the end result, I think what my goal was, was to create a guitar that is as premium looking of an instrument as it also is when it comes to playing it and the way that it sounds. Yeah, it sure looks great. I love those block inlays. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things uh, you don't commonly see it on a Strat. I think it, it. I think it's beautiful, especially the way it's executed on this guitar. But it's also functional, you know, because in live environment, the LD can hit you with combinations of lighting that, in some situations, actually makes it renders the dots on the neck invisible and very hard to see. And so this way, uh, the binding on the side eliminates uh, those dots. And then, you know, worst case scenario, it's pretty hard to miss those uh, block inlays. So they're they're very attractive looking and and functional as well and yeah it's just beautiful i fully confess that i want one so badly this is i'm craving that thing now i'm a strat person as well always have been can you show us the sounds from the i guess it's a five different sounds basically yeah you know i mean all strats well uh in the early days they only had uh three uh selections you know one for each pickup and then a few years later they you know put the the two settings where you can combine uh, pickups, but yeah, so you know, here's your neck position. The, and we worked um, a while on the sound of these pickups, uh, they're kind of a new and improved uh, yeah. version based on the last guitars. But, um, real natural, you know, strat sounding. This is the neck pickup. pickup is that's like my favorite you know is to to really get a great sounding neck pickup on a strat there's no better sound than that to me so that was really important then in the next position you have the neck and the middle pickup together so that's like you know 
it's a little more percussive. Then you have the middle pickup, which has a little more bite to it. Yeah. Yeah, and then you got the middle and the bridge together. And then we have the uh, the bridge pickup, which is actually also wired to the second tone control, so you can dial some of the top end back off of that because it can be a little bright. We actually reduced some of the top end on this pickup uh, just from the get-go, but if you want to dial it back a little more, you can roll it you know, down on the tone control. But here's the bridge. sounds really good to me to my ear fantastic and i love the blue paint on the top of the headstock too which seems to match the blue i love that i think it's only available in one color kenny's color if i'm correct yeah yeah we came up with this color it's a custom color they're calling it translucent sonic blue you know you can see the wood grain which is one of one of the reasons why we went to an ash body um was for the visual effect also um because you know there's not that much of a tonal difference between ash and alder which you know all almost all my straps are either ash or alder um so when we chambered it so it's a little more resonant it's a noticeably lighter guitar oh really um, so where are the where are the chambers uh i think it's you know primarily down in through here and a little bit up here um so a little bit above the neck pickup and a little bit kind of above yeah, the top corner of the bridge you can kind of hear it if you bang on it you know you can hear where it's at and so that, that makes a, a, a noticeable and significant difference. But um, the paint, you know, the paint is just, the color is beautiful, it's very rich, and it's got the depth because of that wood grain that's, that's visible through the finish. So um, we did the matching headstock, which to me, you know, some, some guys like it, some guys don't like it. Uh, to me, it just, it shows that little extra bit of effort put into it, you know? I mean, it takes yeah. some effort to tape this off and to, to paint that and try and color match that to the body. And, uh, it gives it a little bit more of a premium appearance, in my opinion. So this is a production model, like not a custom shop, but it's going to be available to everyone. Right, exactly. This is going to be an American production model. But, you know, if I'm being completely honest with you, I wanted this thing to look like it came out of the custom shop. And uh, yeah. so, you know, it's like you're, you're getting the vibe of a, a fully custom Stratocaster right here. And, but it's going to be a USA production-made guitar. Now... Can you bend some notes on the high frets? Because it's got a kind of a seven and a quarter radius. Does that mean you have kind of high action? Uh, well, I do. I have generally like medium to high action, and I usually play heavier strings. This one hasn't been completely set up with my stuff yet. And to be completely honest with you, since we haven't been touring, my calluses aren't what they should be. And so I have lighter strings on here, but it's good. So, you know, you can bend all you want. Uh, that's the, the reason for that is the jumbo frets. Because um, a lot of guys, you know, feel like the seven and a quarter, you know, that the necks need to be flatter up top so they can play faster and bend further. But if you have big enough frets on there and you got a proper fret job, you should have no problems. Um, right. And, you know, I'm a vi I, I love vintage strats. I mean, you know, and so any guys that are, 
that that love a good vintage Stratocaster are going to love the feel and the shape of this neck. This is a this is a as accurate of a reproduction of the exact specs of my '61 Strats neck as any guitar we've ever built together. Fantastic. So, what have you been playing lately? Anything, any riff lately in your fingers? Let her rip a little bit some more. Yeah, I love it. I, I, I don't really have anything. You know, I'm not too fancy of a player. I'm just more about feelings. Yeah, man, it sounds beautiful and super stratty. And you like those block saddles, the modern kind of Fender block steel saddles? Well, no, these are actually Graftech saddles. So they look, they have that oh. same kind of look, but right here where the string rests on the saddle is uh, graphite, which is, you know, extremely uh, naturally lubricated. And so um, for me, I started putting these on my guitar as soon as they came out back in like the, the late 90s, I, I put them on my Strat and virtually eliminated string breakage problems for me yeah. so i've just put them on every guitar that i've gotten from that day forward whether it's a vintage strat a new strat a production strat a signature strat a custom shop strat all nice. my guitars have these on them i gotta try those now when you're in the middle of a tour and you're all fired up what what gauge strings do you normally put on your strats so i'm doing a 11 14 18 28 38 58 so it's pretty well balanced heavy set um, you know, a lot of guys, you know, SRV was known for like playing like 13s towards the end of his life. I believe he was playing 11s. I'm doing 11s tuned up to 440 and tuned down a half step. So, you know, when you're playing 11s and you're in 440, that's a, that's no small amount of tension on the, on the strings. So you definitely got to have some strength in the hands to be able to deal with it. But for me, to my ear, it's an incredible difference um, going from 9 to 10s and 10s to 11s in the amount of tone that you're able to gain from that increase in gauge. But as I started going heavier from 11s to 12s and 12s to 13s, I felt like it was diminishing returns. And so the, the noticeable difference in tone wasn't necessarily worth the added effort required to play it. And so I kind of settled on 11s just kind of really seemed to, to be where it was at for me. And, what, you know, when you're playing 12s and, and, and especially on 13s, you kind of have to be tuned to half step down all the time. And from my second album going forward, we've done not all, but the majority of our songs have been in standard tuning. So, you know, I can't be a half step down all the time anyway. So 11s kind of seem to be right where it's at. In the studio, yeah, we'll start really me messing around with gauges because then you're on a real molecular level with the microphones and the sound that you're trying to create. But live, it's usually 11 through 58 across the board. Man, so you have like the coolest guitar cave around. I've seen other videos where you got this badass Challenger behind you. Is that like a Hellcat or something? Or? This is the this is the Demon. So this is a, <laughs> Demon. Yeah, this one's a really limited production car. They only made three thousand for the U.S. and three hundred for Canada. It's like eight hundred and forty yeah. horsepower. It's like you know at the time may still be the most powerful uh, you know Ameri certainly American production car made um yeah pretty cool man i mean my whole this is this this whole lounge here you probably can't see but on the other side of the 
car, there's, I got an amplifier stacked up over there and a whole wall of guitars. So this is the cars and guitars lounge here. I love it, man. Where, what part of the nation do you reside in? Well, I'm from Louisiana. We got a place down there. My family's all in Louisiana. And then this is uh, our place out in California where my wife's family, they're all out here. So, oh, okay. you know, we kind of divide our time uh, between the two places. Uh, yeah, but right, right now I'm in California. The other thing is you've got a killer Fender uh, Acoustasonic Strat on the wall. And there's another Strat before we get too far away from all the solid body talk. Tell us about playing that Jimi Hendrix Woodstock Strat on Jimmy Fallon's show. I guess that was about 10 years ago when you performed with that. What did it feel like when you first met it? Was it set up the way you wanted? Was it, how did it? No. Was, could you, no, that guitar was not set up at all. It was... Uh, you know, I had been on display in a museum up in Seattle, um, and I don't really know when the last time somebody actually played the guitar was. So um, it was not set up for my playing at all. And, you know, frankly, I wasn't going to suggest that they that they change anything about that guitar just so that I could play it. I was surprised to find out that when the guitar arrived that they had taken the nut out of it and put in a temporary nut that was cut for for it to be able to yeah. be played right-handed because the original nut obviously was yeah. cut for left-handed playing. So I was a little surprised to see that, but I realized it was probably necessary, uh, but I didn't yeah, request that. But yeah, it was, uh, you know, I. I didn't touch it at all. I just picked it up, started playing it, and the guitar had an incredible amount of vibe to it, obviously. And uh, it was a, a little bit of a struggle at first to play it because it wasn't set up uh, the way I'm used to. But, you know, man, what an extreme honor and a pleasure to play that guitar. It's probably every guitar player on the face of the planet's dream is to play that, touch, even touch that guitar, much less get to play it on stage. Yeah. You know? Well, that's certainly what I was wondering about, like, the Jimi Hendrix nut that is missing one when righties are playing it, but I'm sure they have it somewhere locked in a deep oh, yeah. vault underground. Right. But was there anything that take away from playing it, like that you know, just another '60s strat to you, or was it? Well, uh, no. I mean, what was cool was looking at it and looking at all the the little marks on the neck, really, of because he had all this jewelry on and these rings, and so you could see all the indentations from his rings like hitting the back of the neck and kind of chipping the finish and they were all you know if i was playing the guitar they would all be down here but because right. of the, him playing it they were all on this side of the neck so all oh, right so they're like on the top of the neck for you yeah. gotcha so i'm looking at them i'm looking at all these ring marks where my thumb is you know on the back of the neck so it's just another telltale sign that the guitar is what it is you know that's awesome. Now, you have a very well-known 61 Strat that you grabbed when you were an up-and-coming kid and you came to L.A. and it was waiting for you. Seems like that's a great guitar. Did you ever put put a five-way switch on that or what? Yeah. I know I put a five-way on my 74 Strat. Yeah, yeah, I put five-ways on all my guitars um, if they didn't come with them. But yeah, that guitar is uh, incredibly special. To me, it's like the one guitar that just, you know, is absolutely perfect in every way. And I found, you know, it's like that every elusive instrument that you hear about, that mythical guitar that you pick up and the moment you play it, it's like everything about it is perfect for you. And, and I was beginning to wonder if those kinds of guitars actually existed. And then I found that guitar. You know, I couldn't afford to buy it at the time, and so I had to walk away from it. And then a year later, I came back and I went straight there to see if it was still in that store, and it was. 
and I refused to leave without it that day, even though I still didn't have the money to pay for it. So my dad and my attorney uh, who was there and my A&R guy from my record company who were all there with me in the guitar center that day while I was playing it, uh, and I refused to leave without it. They all kind of put their heads together and decided that they would split up the cost amongst the three of them under the condition I'd pay them back. And so that's how I got the guitar. And how much was it back in 1997 or whenever that was? I feel like it was like 7,000 bucks, maybe, you know, 7,500 or something. I'm not exactly sure, but it was a lot of money for the time. And it was certainly the most money I'd ever spent on anything. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's, sure, it's probably proved to be a good investment, not that you would ever even think about what it's worth or sell well, it. It's kind of weird. Like that guitar, it's been the, the biggest investment uh, in my music and my tone for sure. Um, but who, who, you know, for guitar collectors, I don't know. The only reason why that guitar would, besides, you know, that it's a 61 strap, but I mean, I have decimated the finish on that guitar so for the guys that like to collect pristine vintage examples they probably wouldn't want anything to do with that guitar so is there one song like right off the top of your head what's your favorite recorded like version of like maybe a solo that you played on that song played that guitar on or is it just pretty much all of them <laughs> well i used it on so many records so it's really hard to say but the first time i used that guitar on was the Trouble Is record, and so it's all over that album. And uh, one, song in I... one song in particular uh, was a song called Slow Ride, not the Foghat yeah. song. Uh, right. yeah, but yeah. that one uh, most definitely has that guitar on it, and it has a pretty, pretty cool tone you know, throughout that song. black that what's your recommendation how, how do you still use the same sort of octavia pedal or what are you doing give me some tips on how me and other guitar players can get that delicious octave fuzz tone that you have on that song Yeah, I mean, back then it was a Roger Mayer spaceship Octavia. Uh, for a while I was using a Tycho Bry Octavia as well, but I found that those are actually a lot more noisy. Like for the live environment, the Tycho Bry ones pick up a lot more yes. noise in the signal chain. And if you have like, you know, electric uh, interference that's happening on stage, you're really going to hear it with the Tycho Bry one. So, the Roger Mayer one is the one I use in the studio, and that actually has ended up being one of the best options for live to help combat, you know, stage noise. So, um, but yeah, I mean, really, man, that whole sound on that, that's my 61 Strats, the Roger Mayer Octavia, and it's through a 64 Blackface Vibraverb. And, uh, you know, and then the yeah, rest of it is, <laughs> is here. Congratulations on the perfect song, man. You're one of those cats who's co-written a perfect song. I even love the part. What do you play underneath the chorus? There's like a little 
tenor line and guitar line. Yeah, it's uh, it's real simple, and it's got a uh, like a it's a drop D. A univibe to have the right effect. So you yeah. would you'd be running this through a univibe, but it's really just octaves uh, on the D. And it just adds with the with the Octavia effect on it, it just adds, it's just this incredible layer of sound. To me, it just it's like as deep as the ocean. You know, it just creates this fantastic bed underneath there. My next question, that sort of swirling vibrato tremolo sound, I guess you're saying that's the univibe? Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Now there's like another univibe song on, I mean, I think it's a univibe on, with the rides mm -hmm. on your tune, the rides for anyone who doesn't know is you and Steven Stills and Barry Goldberg, yep. killer band. And by my side, this yeah. tune has kind of two solos. One solo is maybe a clean univibe and then the next solo is maybe dirty. Yeah, well, yeah, so the first one is uh, just with no overdrive on it, and then at the end of the song, you know, we bring the dynamics level up significantly, so that's just me kicking on the overdrive on top of the univibe. Um, but yeah, that's definitely the univibe sound as well. Shout out to Blue Microphones, who brought you this guitar hang with Kenny Wayne Shepherd. They've been making those mics for 25 years. Head to bluemic.com and see why they are the choice for millions of musicians and creators. Whether you're just starting out in your recording career or are a total pro, I promise you they have something super cool for you, conventional or USB. Dig it, bluemic.com. So is Univides, are those Dunlop pedals? I have a Dunlop Univibe. Yeah, they so bought Dunlop, you know, back in the 90s, they were like one of the first, maybe the first company to, to reissue a Univibe. There's a million different versions now um, by different companies. But to be honest with you, almost all of them fall pretty short of the real thing. I have an original. I have two original ones. One allegedly belonged to Jimi Hendrix. And the other one was one that I bought when I was uh, a teenager and it was one of my first vintage uh, gear purchases. And, you know, those sound, the sound of those pedals, the originals, is just really hard to duplicate. My guitar tech actually has a company uh, where he makes Univibes. Uh, he call, then his company's called Sir Henry, but um, they make 
as authentic of a reproduction of an original Univibe as you can get. Uh, internally, it's like all the real deal. Um, the sound of that is it comes from a light bulb flashing based on, yeah. you know, how, on the speed of the sound is based on how fast the light bulb flashes. And so all of that stuff, uh, all those components are totally legit in his pedal. And that's what I've been using live now for the past several years. Incredible. Now, as far as your amps, are you still using these sleeper fenders to use a hot rod term? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, Alexander Dumble has been building my amps now for several years. And, you know, they're like, they look like stock fender amps on the outside, but on the inside, they're a completely different animal. You know, he just kind of basically uses the cabinet and the chassis and then, and guts it and then, you know, does his magic on the inside. And, uh, just it's been a real significant um, contribution to my sound and, and and inspiration. Like the way those amps respond to my playing has really enabled yeah. me to to take my music to different places that I couldn't do before. Yeah, I think you got a special guest in there showing oh, up. Oh, you see him? <laughs> <laughs> That's my son. Yeah. It's all good, man. It's all cool. Do you? So speaking of sleepers, do you have any sleeper hot rod cars? Have you ever had a true sleeper like a like a pacer or something with a V8 in it or <laughs> no, no, no pacers, but uh, yeah, I don't. Most of my cars, they're, they're pretty obvious that they're pretty quick. But my duster, I got a 1970 Plymouth duster when I bought it, and it was uh, all original. Um, and the guy had owned it like you know, since brand new, and then he passed away, and one of the neighbors bought it, and then I bought it from the neighbor. And uh, when I first got that car, it was kind of like a sleeper, it had a 340, so it's the highest performance motor you could get in a 70 duster at the time but it was like this this like dark green paint on the outside you know so it looked like a a grandpa's car and it was it was actually fun driving it around like that because like nobody paid any attention to that car or who was in it and so i drove around like that for about a month or two and then and then the engine spun a bearing and i you know had to pull the whole engine out and start a rebuild process. So then we decided, well, let's have some fun with the car and we rebuilt it. And now it looks significantly faster and it is significantly faster <laughs> as well. Oh man, you have a, a good life. Now, check it out. Speaking of hot rodding stuff, what about this Van Halen guy? You were just still a teenager when you opened and toured with Van Halen the first time? Or? Yeah, we were, back, we were out on the road with those guys. That was the Van Halen 3, so that was with Gary Sharon singing. And uh, that was our first tour with them. And then we did it again with Van Halen with David Lee Roth back in 2015. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, I got a lot of history with, with the Van Halens. And, uh, you know, Eddie's a great, great guy. He's always been incredible to me personally. And uh, obviously, you know, I look up to him along with every other yeah. guitar player in the world looks up to him. So, Did um, you have any good hangs with him when you were a kid and you first met him and you're like a... 18 or 19 and oh yeah we hung out yeah yeah on that on that first tour that was that was a lot of fun and really kind of cemented our friendship and uh and we had a lot of great hangs on the last tour as well so but it, nothing st stands out to you like with him or maybe say keith richards or any kind of hang with the, when you open for the stones or what's something interesting in your memory from all these legends that you've opened for and toured with well for me you know i it's things like, you know, sitting outside on the, on the phone in the parking lot behind the, the venue. And then, it, you know, I'm on the phone and then somebody comes up behind me and like gives me a bear hug and I turn around and it's Eddie Van Halen. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. that's the kind of stuff, you know, it's like, uh, 
the personal connections and the personal relationships, yeah. those are the things that stand out in my mind. It's not like, whoa, dude, I, you know, I, I don't know. It's not, it's not like all about the gear and all that stuff. It's like BB King, yeah. you know, became like a father figure to me, you know? And the stuff that I, that I, that really stands out in my mind are all these private conversations that we had that I wouldn't necessarily share on a public platform, but all these different kinds of advice that he gave me and, and different stories and personal things that he told me that you would never hear otherwise, you know? Yeah. And those are the really special things that have come from all of this for me. Do you, I'm sure you've been asked this before, but each year I'm sure your answer kind of changes. If looking back when you were a child star, if what would you give, what advice would you give yourself now or give any other kid who's coming up, who's suddenly getting signed and, getting all this opportunity that's coming really fast. In your case, I guess Irving Azoff signed you, which is fucking huge. Yeah. Um, what, what, would, what advice would you give your 17-year-old prodigy well, self? The biggest kind of advice that, that I have to give to young people is, you know, just don't compromise your vision, you know. Uh, be who you're going to be know your identity and pursue that, you know? And the, th and the other thing is, is don't forget, the reason why we play music is because we love it and it's fun. Like, you know, that's the reason. And then if you're able to like make money at it, then that's great too. But you, you know, I've never approached music. I never, I never approached music as an opportunity to make money. It was always a, as an opportunity to make music. And then thankfully, I've been able to make money doing it as well and support my family um, as a result of having the fans that we have. But just don't let anybody talk you into something that you don't feel good about, especially recording a song because you might have a hit with it and you gotta play it the rest of your life. So be sure that you love everything that you're doing. Now, before I forget, let's shout out to what string manufacturer you use and, and picks. Uh, well, Ernie Ball, I've been using Ernie Ball strings since I was like 17 years old. And, uh, and the picks right now, I think, um, I think Dunlop is making my guitar picks for me. So yeah, that's it, man. Fender, Ernie they, Ball, Dunlop. You get such great tone that I have to figure out what material. Is that like one of those, it looks like kind of the shiny plastic. Yes. Nylon or? There's no, there's no special voodoo here. This is just. Yeah, this is a, uh, it's kind of like a perloid plastic. Yeah, that's the word. You know, it's got my logo on it. It goes nicely with the guitar. Yeah, I love, I love the, the perloid um, pick guard you have. Some people call it mother of toilet seat, which is the funniest guitar term of all. Yeah, I know, right? Well, I guess they actually had, they actually used to use that stuff on toilet seats back in the day. I love it, man. So now speaking of Christmas presents that I want, Tell us about this Acoustasonic Strat. I mean, I played one for 10 seconds with Heather at the NAMM show. Actually, I think it was, and we're talking about Heather Humans from Fender. I think I played the Acoustasonic Telecaster, but then the next year I played the Acoustasonic Stratocaster. Those are so great. And I know you did a cool video on that. Yeah, they're, they're really good guitars. I mean, uh, it's a pretty versatile instrument. I mean, obviously, you know, playing acoustic can kind of be a challenge anyways. You know, those just kind of, fight you a lot more than an electric guitar does. So this is kind of a nice middle ground between an actual electric Stratocaster and an acoustic guitar. So it has a familiar shape. It has a more forgiving setup to it. Um, you know, when it comes to 
if you want to bend and stuff like that. But what's cool is, you know, it's got that pickup in there. Uh, it's got the acoustic pickup for the DI and all that, but it also has, you know, a single coil pickup in there. And so it gives it some real um, flexibility. So, you know, if you're the kind of uh, musician that has to, that wants to travel light, uh, you got a, a gig, a regular gig where you play, you know, a number of different types of songs or styles of songs, everything from acoustic to electric or whatever, and you don't want to have to carry a plethora of instruments around, this is a really uh, a good possibility, you know, for you. It's a, it's a good, um, it's, got a, it's got a lot of options available. It got a lot of different sounds available in one little package there. So and it has the familiarity of a Stratocaster to it. Yeah, man. I mean, I swear this is not a commercial for Fender. I've just been in love with Fender since I was nine years old. And I, I love the fun factor of that guitar too. It's just like this lightweight, thin body. Like it, to me, it really captures the California spirit. I mean, that whole kind of surf spirit. Just here's a cool, different kind of guitar. And with the double cutaway and the cut underneath where your picking arm would go. Yep. What amp are you plugging into today for us and while we're doing this interview? Well, this is a little Fender chant that uh, Alexander Dumble built for me. He calls it the little tiger. So, you know, basically it's got a volume knob and, uh, you know, you turn the volume up, it gets louder and it gets dirtier. And uh, it's really specifically intended for a studio recording, but I found that it works really well in this kind of a setting as well. Uh, can we hear a little bit more of it? Or? Yeah, sure, man. It's like, well, I'm in drop D now. Now, I got to ask you, as a Strat player, man, we speak the language. How do you have your bridge set up as far as floating or not floating? No, I, I keep mine flat. So I would like to get it just uh, flush with the body so that, you know, if you break a string, you're not going to go uh, significantly out of tune. Um, and I used to really have it like almost glued to the body. We put so much tension on the springs on the back. And it was, you know, yeah. it took a lot of effort to, if on the rare occasion I wanted to use the tremolo bar. So now we backed it off so that it, it just stays flush with the body, but it's not, you know, so much tension on those springs. So you can still, you know, work the tremolo bar if you, if you feel inclined to do that. But the main thing is to keep it so that, you know, because if you have a floating tremolo and you break a string, you're in trouble. And, uh, you know, for a lot of guys, um, you know, that's the sound, that's what they want. But for me, uh, early on, I just shied away from that because I was breaking a lot of strings uh, for many years there, and it was like a nightmare on stage if we didn't have it like this. Well, I'm holding this one of my strats. I'm just so addicted to being able to go up and above the note, though, to float, you know. Mm -hmm. Like, 
uh, to be able to float above like a kind of like a singer. So it's just, it is such a trade-off. You always have to have two guitars, you, you know, if you pop you can't, just to change tunings or it's really three guitars if you want to have both and, and right. be able to do alternate tunings. Right. So I, I feel you. I think there might be more tone with it, uh, with all those springs pulling it down. Well, I think you're certainly, it's another point of contact, you know, for the guitar. Yeah. So it's another opportunity for, you know, uh, resonance to happen and be transferred through the instrument. So, Congratulations again, belatedly, on that documentary, 10 Days Out. Mm -hmm. Very cool that you did that and probably should have won a Grammy. Yeah, it, you know, that thing was nominated for two Grammys. It didn't win either, but... Um, you know, we don't make albums for Grammys or yeah. do projects for that. That just, if that happens, then that's fantastic. So the ultimate uh, point of that was to show my appreciation for blues music and the artists that came before me that enabled yeah. people like me to do what I do. Um, and to, you know, like expose some of those artists who have been playing blues their whole lives to a new audience. Because uh, some of those people have been playing their whole lives but never really broke out into the mainstream. And we didn't realize how timely uh, of a piece that it was. But even before we released it, like five or six of those people had already passed away before it even came out. And now, you know, over 10 years later, I think, you know, there's like 20 of them have died. So it was a really important historical piece that documented some of those people's last performances that were ever recorded. So uh, I was just very proud to be a part of it, you know. Fantastic. I'm jumping around a little bit, but before I forget, are your pickups noiseless? They're not noiseless, but they're quiet. Like they're quieter. Uh, they're quieter than my last pickup. So the goal was to create pickups that had more output but less buzz, you know. And um, and I think we accomplished that pretty well, especially compared to my last signature guitar. So we got a little more output across the board, a little more response, uh, you know, across the sonic threshold and, you know, a noticeable mid-range boost, um, but nothing that muddies up the sound at all. And, you know, when you're plugged in uh, with a guitar, if you compare it to the last guitar, uh, they should be noticeably quieter across the board as far as, you know, that 60 cycle hum goes. I can't wait to try that guitar. Now, if I could... Is there a way that we could just kind of look at some profound moments in your life as how you kind of developed your style? Like, what was the first guitar lick that you ever played that just hit you in the chest that you played a million times? It doesn't have to be the first one. It could be the third one. What's one of the early things that you remember playing? Well, I don't really, to be honest with you, uh, I don't really know. One of the... One of the first, I mean, the things that I remember playing first was like Smoke on the Water, right? Like, I remember having a little yeah. acoustic, and that's, you know, songs yeah. like that are every guitar player's first notes. Um, yeah. But I remember being like four years old and having a little toy guitar and playing the notes to that song, and my dad like looking over at me like, did you just do that? Um, but, you know, for me, like one of the things that I was most proud of accomplishing was emulating certain sounds from certain heroes of mine. And Albert King is one of those guys where, because he has such subtleties in his playing and his bending, and he's also, you know, he plays upside down and left-handed, so he's pulling on the strings instead of where I'm pushing on the yeah. strings. And just the way he bends certain things, that I really enjoy that. And I was so happy when I was able to finally execute that kind of stuff. But, you know, he's like, 
instead of like a lot of guys would go, right? But it's actually not letting the string go all the way back down. Instead of doing this, it's, you, you need to actually not, not drop it back to its original position. So you want to just let it down a little bit. You know, just That's little funny. subtleties like that, that create tension in a, in a, in a lick, you know, that I think, those, I get off on little things like that. I love that. That's, that's a deep moment. Any other deep moments on the fretboard as you were growing up that you can think of? I mean, I can, as a guitar player, I could think of millions that I've been through, but. Well, yeah, I mean, but again. Show us. Well, right. So, well, also learning, um, you know, certain, uh, I don't even know what it's called, but, you know, where you like. Uh, Thing. So then, you know, like I've taken that whole idea of having finding notes, but where or chords where you can have other strings open to create a more full sound. Like I always, in every situation, try and find an opportunity where I can have open strings. You know, just. To me, you're creating, especially sitting around playing by yourself, you're, you're creating, uh, you know, much more full of a bed underneath your music. And so, you know, blues music. You know, instead of going. All those little things, just little nuances to me. That, that's the kind of stuff that I get off on, you know. That's beautiful. Any, I mean, you've seen a million great guitar players play, but off the top of your head, any performances that just changed your life when you saw, you could, maybe when you were a teenager or? Well, when I saw Stevie Ray Vaughan, that's what changed my life, you know. Uh, just watching him for the first time when I was seven years old, that was like the defining moment for me where I was like, I have got to get my hands on an electric guitar and try and learn how to do that. And so, you know, that was the most defining moment uh, watching another guitar player play for me, without a doubt. Fantastic. Yeah, man. I, I'm, I'm definitely older than you. All of us are. <laughs> well, you're catching up on some of them. But yeah. I was 13 years old, and I snuck out of the house on a school night, got on the bus from Oakland over to San Francisco, and there's two opening bands, and I was just, man, I had heard Steve Ray Vaughan, his first album had just come out, and I was going to see that dude. Mm -hmm. And it was an all-ages show, and I was standing right on the stage, in front of the stage with my elbows on the stage, and I, and I watched him play, man. I could have touched his boots. It was incredible. Yeah. And uh, sweat was coming off his forehead all the way to the tip of his cowboy hat and just dripping down. And, and I think what struck me most about him was not only his incredible solos, but his rhythm. I think people don't realize that he's one of the greatest rhythm guitarists of all time. Yeah, I, well, I think a lot of guys playing guitar you know, people want to solo, you know, and so they spend a lot of time focusing on soloing and playing fast, you know, especially young people want to play fast and that's cool. But like, to me, the two things that I focused on that I thought were really important, uh, was vibrato and right hand, you know, uh, your right hand yeah. is like so important. Rhythm playing is all about the right hand and knowing like intuitively listening for the openings and this and the opportunity to create space instead of always playing you know 
Yeah. You ever watch him play Dirty Pool too? Yeah. Like oh, the, yeah. the strumming hand is just. Well, yeah, he does that thing where he it's like a butterfly stroke. So he's going like this instead of just back and forth. He's like doing yeah. a cer- it's like a figure eight, you know, and that yeah. in itself is a, is a pretty trippy approach. That's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Well. I certainly relate to you on the Stevie Ray Vaughan front, my yeah. brother. And, and of course, his tone took a huge upgrade when he hooked up with Alexander Dumble's creation as well. I guess he borrowed one from Jackson Brown right. for that first album. And your albums always sound great. Last question. When somebody records a killer album and it sounds like money, like it sounds so good in the speakers... We can always say, oh, wow, they must have had a great producer and great engineers and a great mixing engineer on that. But every one of your records sounds so amazing. Even if, even if you aren't the guy turning all the knobs, how do you consistently keep that quality level of mixing and that fat sound so consistent? Well, to me, it's just about surrounding yourself with people that I always try and surround myself with people that I think are smarter than me. So, you know, especially more qualified than me um, when it comes to those kinds of things. But I mean, I know it works for me and I have great equipment. I mean, my amps, my guitars, I mean, that is the, that's the core of the sound. And so, you know, if you're starting with really good stuff, then the end result should be really good. But you're at the mercy of the guy that is turning the knobs. And, you know, I've done enough albums now to where I know what works and what sounds good to me. Um, but I put a certain amount of trust and faith in the guys that I hire to, to come into the studio and work with me. And, but I'll certainly speak up if I think something doesn't sound right or if, if we're heading down the wrong path. But generally, I've found guys, I've found a team of people that I think re- works really well uh, together. And uh, I try not to mess that up, you know, and keep, the, keep that unit going. Yeah, man. Last, 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 last question. Do you have a particular mic setup when you're in the studio that you like to put on the speaker? Well, we tried a number of things, you know, ribbon mics and, you know, even like things as, uh, as simple as like, sure, you know, SM87s and stuff like that. But um, I kind of defer to as far as the specific mic to the engineer, because if we're in a different studio each time that he's taking into consideration, you know, the amps that I'm playing, He's taking into consideration the setup of the room. He's taking into consideration all the outboard gear that it might be passing through and the console. And so he, if, if he's worth his weight, knows he's able to look at all this stuff and imagine it, what it's going to be passing through and the way and the right microphone and the right placement that for all of that stuff to work to get the end result that we want, right? Um, so my thing is, is that I always, my, my specifications, mine are very generic in that I want mics, obviously sometimes more than one mic on the front of the amp. So we have options, always mic, uh, mic the back of the amp and we need at least one, if not multiple room mics in, in various places in the room. Um, because, you know, we, and then we choose a combination of whichever of those things works best together. Fantastic, man. Well, Kenny, and I don't know, do your friends call you Ken? Kenny, <laughs> Kenny Wayne, Ken, Ken Jr., even though I'm not a junior, uh, whatever. Well, Kenny, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. You got it, man. Thanks a lot. Congratulations on that new guitar. Thank you. New guitar is safe.